Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year-long crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible. We'll include excerpts from his spoken ministry, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. At the very heart of the Christian faith is the truth concerning the nature and essence of God himself. The Bible very clearly reveals that our God is triune. It's from this truth that we derive the word trinity, which means three-one. Our God is uniquely one, yet is eternally three. Over the centuries, various terms have been used in an attempt to describe these essential characteristics of God. The most common of these borrowed terms may be persons. We often hear the word persons used in reference to the three of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, and God the Spirit. Though this term does help us in some regard to understand one aspect of the Trinity, it's critical to keep in mind that the Bible itself never uses this term in such a context. And further, we should always use this term carefully when applied to God because its over or incorrect use can lead us into the serious error of having three gods, either consciously or unconsciously. Ron Kangas is here to help us today. Ron, I'm glad you're able to join us again as we pick up the other half of the uh, Divine Trinity here, don't we? I count it a blessing to be able to fellowship from the other aspect. I appreciated the opening word. It was very thoughtful and uh, very clear. Uh, We don't object to the traditional word person, but may we acknowledge a few things. Number one, that The Bible doesn't mandate the use of this word. Therefore, we're not acting contrary to the Scripture if we elect not to use it or to minimize it. And let's also acknowledge that the use of this word has become a tradition for centuries. That doesn't mean it has no value. It simply means it's a tradition. And the other thing I would like to say is that for most modern people, The word person is not all that clear when applied to God. If you see a man over there, you may say he's a nice person. And if there are two men, there are two persons, two people. Right. So if we are rather imprecise or insistent on the use of this word to describe the three in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, in their coexistence and coherence in the Godhead, we may fall into error, perhaps unintentionally. Uh, what is in our heart to do is to adhere first not to tradition, nor to systematic theology, but to the divine revelation in the Scriptures. And where the revelation in the Scriptures 
diverges or surpasses the tradition, then we must let go of the tradition and cling only to the word of the divine revelation. In brief, our view, according to the scriptures, is that there is one true and living God, the unique, self-existing, ever-existing God. He is one God. But this one God is three, Father, Son, and Spirit. All three are God. All three are eternal. All three exist at the same time. Therefore, all three coexist, and furthermore, they co-inhere, they dwell in one another. Although there is, in reality and in revelation, a distinction among the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, there is no separation. This is the perspective from which our brother Witness Lee carried out his ministry, and in particular spoke these messages on 1 John that touch on the divine trinity. And this is also our perspective in this, what we may call follow-up fellowship Mm -hmm. or expanded fellowship. And this is our testimony concerning the truth. If you were with us in our last program, we saw some verses we'll touch again today that really draw the attention or the primary focus to the aspect of oneness as opposed to the aspect of the three. In other words, that these three in the Godhead are absolutely inseparable. And in some sense, there is a clear identification of the one with the other. And one of the verses that we used, and uh, we'll bring it up again right now, is the chapter 2, verse 23. Everyone who denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who confesses the Son has the Father also, showing that the denial or confession of the Son equals that of the Father, equals a denial and or a confession of the Father. So again, this matter of no separation is really underscored in this verse. Today, however, the focus of the program, as you'll hear as Witness Lee begins to share, is definitely to confirm and reaffirm the distinction between the three on an eternal sense. With that, why don't we join Witness Lee, and then Ron will come back and hear your development. God is the Father, and God is the Son. So the Son and the Father are one, one God. But we cannot say there's no distinction between the Father and the Son. There is a distinction, but there's no separation. When the Father's here, the Son's here. When the saints here, the Father's here. You can never separate them. But still, there is some distinction. We have to be careful about this, okay? Now, not one bit of doubt could uh, exist that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are really one. And they are one God. We don't have three gods. Yet, one God waits a strong distinction of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In this distinction, we have to say strongly, the Father is the Father. In this sense, the Father is not the Son. Could you see this? And the Father is not the Spirit in this sense. In the sense of distinction, the Father is the Father. It's not the Son. And the Son is the Son, not the Spirit. You see, you have to see every truth has two sides, has two aspects. On the one hand, our God is uniquely one. 
yet on the other hand, he is three. As one, there's no separation, but as three, still no separation, but some distinction. You see, even the Lord's word indicates this. He says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. As this one is in that one, and that one is in this one, and the two are mutually one, you can never separate them. No separation. But still, I is I, and the Father is the Father. You see, still you have distinction here. So we have to be very, very careful. We have to be balanced. Ron, of course, I'll give you the full liberty to touch any aspect of this that you feel to. I would like to ask you a little bit, though, as we begin, about this matter of there being two aspects or the twofoldness of divine truth. Uh, maybe touch that concept a little bit or a principle. The expression, the twofoldness of divine truth, uh, we take from a Bible student and scholar from the 19th century, Robert Govet. He has a little booklet by that title. It is of the nature of the divine revelation in the scriptures to be balanced, that is presenting the truth in a twofold way. This applies, for instance, to the matter of salvation, which is altogether by grace and not of works, and the kingdom reward, which is related to works and is not simply a gift of grace granted to everyone, no matter how they live and serve the Lord. Regarding God, who is triune, on the one hand, the Bible reveals strongly that God is one. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. There is one God alone. There is no other. We may say this is the governing principle concerning the revelation concerning God in the Scriptures. But we must face the fact, if we would be faithful, that the Bible emphatically reveals that this one God is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Mm. Therefore, the one is three, and the three are one. So, we may say that God is 3-1 or that God is 1-3. What we are attempting to do is to be faithful and balanced in speaking of the divine revelation, which we must do with care, to show that there is a distinction among the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If we do not uphold the distinction... We lose sight of the three. Right. There are not the three in the Godhead. We have one God, but we do not have the three properly understood. However, if we go on to speak of separation, as if the Father could be here without the Son, or the Son without the Spirit and the Father, that is serious because it violates the principle of the one. And you can't lightly speak of the Father, Son, and the Spirit being separate persons, then turn around and say, they are the one God. It's much safer to uphold distinction that preserves the three without separation 
that preserves the one. Hmm. Let's come back to now this uh, use of the word person or persons in describing the aspect. And in a sense, it's useful. And in this ministry, at times we hear Witness Lee use this term applying to the three of the Godhead. Um, But there is the danger of the overuse, which we alluded to earlier. We're going to see more of that in this coming portion. So why don't we join Witness Lee for that fellowship? Griffith Thomas, this brother, I would say, you should consider him the highest theologian ever produced in America. I might be too much, but anyhow, in one of his books, he said, our human language is inadequate. It is altogether inadequate to define the Trinity. Then he says, you may borrow words like substance, this kind of expression, like substances, hypostases, and persons, are just borrowed temporarily. You shouldn't stress too much. If you stress three persons too far, you will press into a kind of the teaching of three gods. We just can borrow some kind of expression to uh, describe the triune God, but don't price too much. If you price too much, you will have three gods. In the same principle, when we say that the Father, the Spirit, and the Son all are one, don't price too much. You have to stay in the middle. You know, all the people teaching the Trinity, they try their best to use different kinds of uh, uh, illustrations, for instance, Ice, water, and vapor. Here is a big piece of ice. When the weather becomes hotter, it melts into water. And then when the weather becomes hotter and hotter, the water becomes vapor, right? So you have ice, water, and vapor. In a sense, that's okay. But don't press it too far. If you press too far, there is a danger. You see? You cannot say, when the father came in the person of the son, then there's no father. Uh, then when the son becomes the spirit, there's no son. You see, this is too much. Yes, the father, son, and the spirit all are one. Really so. But uh, you cannot deny there is still the distinction of the three. Uh, Ron, I appreciate Witness Lee's presentation here. Good example of ice, water, and vapor. Again, useful to explore one of the aspects, but it's not complete and it doesn't stand alone any more than the use of the word persons uh, stands alone in a proper understanding of the Trinity, does it? Uh, that's right. The illustration is temporarily helpful in a limited way. But the use of illustrations fades in significance in relation to the use of the word person as a virtual litmus test of orthodoxy, where someone uh, wanting to discern uh, whether we are in the faith and not asking, you know, do we believe what the scriptures reveal? Asking, do you believe in the three persons in one God? Uh, no definition of person, as long as we would sign on to that, then we're orthodox. 
I would submit this is risky to adopt theological shorthand and to impose that on the believers and saying, do you or do you not subscribe to this formulaic presentation of the truth concerning the divine trinity? If you do, we accept you as a brother. If you don't, we reject you. It doesn't matter how you express your faith, what you believe in the word. This, I believe, it's not worthy of life in the body of Christ. It is not the way to determine whether someone is holding to the faith once for all delivered. We may use that term in our theological discourse, but to insist on its use and to judge others for not using it, I feel is not only uncharitable, it is really contrary to the Christian life as revealed in the New Testament. A believer should be able to testify clearly, plainly, directly, straightforwardly, and emphatically that he or she believes in what the Bible reveals. There is one God. He is uniquely one. Only he is the true and living God. He is triune, the Father, Son, and Spirit. All three are God, yet there are not three gods Neither is there one God who temporarily exists as Father, then as Son, and then as Spirit. Mm. Apparently, for many of those that consider themselves called by God to uphold orthodoxy, apparently that's not sufficient for them. But it's the way we have taken and the way we will continue to take because it is the way of the divine revelation. Ron, uh, in that section at the beginning, witnessly referred to W.H. Griffith Thomas, I think one of the co-founders even of Dallas Theological Seminary. And in the printed life study, I noticed that he actually quotes from Thomas's writings on the use of this term persons. And he makes exactly the point that we're making or attempting to make in our program today. And he says in that short passage that uh, like all human language, it is liable to be accused of being inadequate and even positive error. It certainly, and again, this is using the term person, it certainly must not be pressed too far or it will lead to tritheism. While we use the term to denote distinctions in the Godhead, we do not imply distinctions which amount to separateness, but distinctions which are associated with essential mutual coherence or inclusiveness of the three. Sounds very similar to what Witness Lee is offering. So it also says to me there's been a bit of, of a progression in modern theological thinking that has gone beyond this point, hasn't it? I must admit that there is. It may not be at the level of the top scholars or theologians, but those that consider themselves the defenders of the faith, the apologists, the anti-cult people, the witch hunters, Mm -hmm. the heresy hunters. I dare not generalize, but I have enough direct experience to know that many are not as careful as Griffith Thomas was They're quite comfortable with using the word without much definition, without much caution. Uh, We appreciate both the spirit and the substance. Griffith Thomas's writing on this point, it's okay to use the word. Uh, We have to use some kind of human language to convey the truth. But let us please recognize the inherent limitation of terms such as person and not press them too far. It is my honest conviction that this term has, in fact, 
been pressed too far. Yeah. Too far and has created unnecessary misunderstanding and strife among genuine children of God. Ron, time won't allow us today to go back to Witness Lee for our third segment, but uh, I think the point that we were going to hear is still, we can touch it in a a couple of minutes in a brief way. Back to chapter 2 of 1 John, that passage 24 to 27. John makes an interesting point here. It says, As for you, that which you heard from the beginning, let it abide in you. If that which you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So there, the context is clear. We're talking about the Son and the Father. But in 25 and 27, there are the singular pronouns he and him used to identify the two. In 27, I'll read it. It says, as for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. The him there seems to cover both the Father and the Son, doesn't it, Ron? It has to. And this is the beauty of the divine revelation. In verse 24, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is clear distinction, as we testified earlier. Verse 25, and this is the promise which he himself promised. To whom does he refer? It must refer back to verse 24 and it must include both the Son and the Father. The same is true in verse 27. The anointing which you have received from him, his anointing teaches you. Abide in him. What is the referent for these pronouns? Again, it's the Father and the Son in verse 24. Here we have in miniature, a revelation of the three one one three triune God, one God who is eternally Father, Son, and Spirit. From the standpoint of distinction, we abide in the Father and in the Son. From the standpoint of oneness, He, He, The one God who is the Son and the Father and also the Spirit promised us eternal life. Right. We have received from him this one God, his anointing, the anointing of this one God. We abide in him. This is a very fair reading of the verses. Actually, it's not only fair. It's a necessary understanding. John knew what he was saying. He knew what he was doing. He was writing under tremendous light directly from God concerning the Godhead and the divine trinity. He was living in fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, as he was writing this. He knew God inwardly. He knew God by revelation. And that is why he could write in this simple yet mysterious way On the one hand, speaking of abiding in the Son and in the Father, distinction. On the other hand, saying he himself promised oneness. This, once again, is the revelation of the triune God in its balanced, complete way. A revelation, by the way, given not for theological speculation, but for spiritual experience in the divine life, which experience and which life 
build up the body of Christ as the goal of the operation of the triune God in God's economy. Mm. Well, we uh, would uh, hope you'd contact Living Stream Ministry to get the printed life study messages on these very crucial portion of 1 John chapter 2. Please call us toll-free 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's it for today. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one, and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.